Good morning. So good to see you this morning. I also want to say a specific good morning to those who are specifically participating in the Kindred community in all of its studies, and also to uh, members of Damascus International Fellowship, and just those who uh, follow me in real time, in real time, real time. Uh, I'm always, as I s sat there uh, being very quiet, it was because I was bringing my ancestors into the room. This uh, place that I stand is because of people who paid forward, who planted trees, and then which they would perhaps never see the fruits of that. You know, as a little girl growing up in Mississippi, born in Mendenhall, Mississippi, this has been a journey. This has been a journey, and to be sitting, or standing here rather, in this place and in this time is simply a divine appointment. I'd like to bring a couple people into the room, specifically several people, into the room with us this morning. One would be the Reverend Dr. John Perkins. We refer to him as Reverend Perkins. The first time I came to University Presbyterian Church was to hear our family friend, Dr. John Perkins, uh, preach here. In fact, I think you even had an institute for him. I bring him into the room because the subject of mental tough holiness is just his spirit, his commitment, his standing firm in the grip and using his grip of faith and using his platform to advance the gospel, especially around justice and those that are disenfranchised, and because he himself has really known what it's like to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be humiliated, and yet he has the joy and the privilege. So I bring him into the room, and of course, Adolphus Weary, we are really offshoots of Reverend Perkins. This, this idea of being a part of God's family began with me growing up in a plank four floor church, Sunflower Baptist Church. And as a little girl, I just had, I heard a sermon and I could not wait to join church. In fact, my mother didn't know I was joining church and I joined church at the age of seven and had that, that experience that anybody who's from the South during that particular era in a small town, we didn't have these fancy baptismas. We got baptized in the creek. <laughs> we got baptized in the creek. But Reverend Perkins uh, is a very special person to me because I had this call to be a part of the church family, to be on the right side of the story. And Reverend Perkins, through child evangelism, unveiled the scripture of John 3.15 one night when all these little children were sitting on these metal chairs, and he asked us if we wanted Jesus to come live in our hearts. And of course, all the children jumped out of their chair. I was one of them, and he prayed over us, 
And we were now, I had another way of thinking about my life in Christ, except when I read the fine print, <laughs> I said, not so fast, because it seemed to be calling upon me to kind of do nots. It just felt so weighted and, you know, I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And so that was my experience in terms of going through the journey of belonging to Christ. The other person that I want to bring into this room that I will talk about more at the end of my message is my 94-year-old mother who will soon be 95. Her name is Celeste Dolores Smith Barnes McKinley. I bring all of these people into the room as examples of what I would call mental tough holiness. Will you please stand? Will you please stand as we read from together from 1 Peter, the first chapter, 13 to the 21st verse. Let us read. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work, impartially live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life and down to you from your ancestors. But when the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. You may be seated. And as we say from Damascus International Fellowship, the word of God is already blessed. Already blessed. I'm, I'm going to tell this story, and, it's, uh, and I told it this morning at the 830 service. I'm going to repeat it because I think it's just so timely, and I think the experience was there for me to use it. Uh, on Thursday, I had an appointment to arrive at the church to uh, do a walkthrough, and I was already stressed because I was running a little late, and my spirit says, do not keep those Presbyterians waiting. <laughs> I mean, you know, when they say 4 o'clock, they mean actually 3.58. Do not keep those Presbyterians waiting. And after all, you're representing your people. And so I text uh, Michelle, because that's one of the numbers that I had, to let her know that I was running a, a little behind schedule. 
So my wonderful husband, who's here with me today, was chauffeuring me, and he said, well, what door should, should you try to get in? So we looked at one door, and we said, that's not it. Went to another door, and it was bolted and had this little access cold pad. We turned around the corner. He said, well, maybe you can go in that door that you went in before, and we couldn't get in. So the only numbers I had was Michelle and Pastor Aaron's. So I text them first, no response, and I finally called and Michelle answered. She said, oh no. She says, let me call, and she gave her number. And she says, better yet, let me give you the access code. Now for those of you who are in security, you can breathe. I don't remember the access code. <laughs> Because I know that perhaps you were out there saying, we got to change the access code. <laughs> but here's what I do remember, that Susanna was waiting. You see, I remember that. I remember that she was waiting, full of an acknowledgement, full of apology, that, wow, you know, we, we didn't even think about that. But I was so glad to get on the other side of the door. <laughs> and I believe that's what this message is about. I believe that as we're looking at this, this thought of a peculiar people living with hope and standing in grace, I believe that the essence of the letter that Peter is writing is to give them the access code. You see, they already wanted to be a part of this. They already wanted to come and be a part of it. But their lives were full of uh, tyranny, confusion, and wondering. And here is Peter saying, let me give you the access code. And this particular focus is on mental tough holiness spoken to a Jewish, Jewish Christian scattered all over Asia Minor who were experiencing, as I said, all kinds of thoughts, probably young in this walk of being in Christ. They were experiencing isolation, vulnerabilities, and at times, tyranny. I can relate to that. I can relate to that fact of not understanding how is it that we're all God's family. And I love this idea of the kindred community that says embrace, not hug it out, but embrace a multi-ethnic family, being able to learn from each other, be able to understand. Because so for many, many years, and I remember being so weighed down with this thought, especially as I began to study the Bible more intentionally and under the dis discipline of Bible study fellowship, I remember breaking down at the table and wondering, how could I be a in this family of God? And we're reading the same Bible. How could this be? How could my family members be okay with this rigged arrangement? 
But more than that, I asked the question, how could God let it happen? We are both saying, our Father. We're all saying, our Father. And I believe Paul, Peter rather, is speaking to comfort, to confront, and to challenge. And in this specific part of this letter, as we focus on mental holiness, I believe that we have the opportunity to expand our framework of holiness. When I was growing up, I had such a narrow perspective of holiness. I associated holiness with a denomination of worship style. I associated holiness with those people who excluded themselves, did not go there, do not enter that, do not do that, social code and dress. And for those of us who used to go to my grandmother's house, there was this holiness church. That means they held church all night long (laughs) until that's what I thought holiness was. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You see, I have come to believe that those things that we see as holy, we do not drink, we do not do this, we do not do this, we don't let them in, we don't whatever. I believe that that is low-hanging fruit for us. That's low-hanging fruit. It's almost lets us off the hook. Because that is why when I was a little girl that I read the fine print and it says, do not dance, do not this, and I thought, oh no. And you know, in America, you have three days to cancel a contract. (laughs) And so as our ancestor says, I had a little talk with Jesus. (laughs) And I said, I am too young for this. I am too young for this. But I began to understand more deeply. And I invite you to join me in that space when God says, be holy for I am holy. It is a bold call. It's a bold call. It's a bold liberation call because he is saying, be merciful and just. You have to reach for that. You have to reach for that. I believe that we are challenged to not succumb to this sinful habit. Sinful habit. And I am talking, you know, I always tell people, Jesus came not to talk to the world. He came to talk to us. He came to disrupt, not just interrupt, to disrupt the deception of religion. Because, see, Jesus knew that in order to carry your cross in order to be there. You, we, religion makes you a very particular people. We become very particular about things. 
become very particular about our liturgies. We become very particular. And the thing about it is it's not that it's a dig, but it's a fact. Because particular people are mission-minded, peculiar people are commission-minded. During the break, someone said to me, you know, I, I just want to be able to connect with, with your heart. I want to be connect with your struggle. And he, and he said it with such piercing eyes. And I said, here's what you do. And I think this is what Peter's talking about. I said, you pray to God. You pray to God and you ask God to reveal to you, excuse me, reveal to you the work of your heart. Let him give you that assignment. You see, peculiar people as God's people, God's people, God's instruments, we should be on the forefront of looking at history. We should be taking the lead. We should not be afraid because we have such examples in Jesus. Jesus came and he unpacked and he wanted them to develop a mindset, a set apart kind of mindset that says you must. You must look at systems. You must look at history. You must acknowledge the institutional inequities, the injustice, the exploitation that's just so embedded in our society, and he calls it wicked. That's one thing about good Christian people. Our greatest stumbling block to growth and change is seeing ourselves as good. It is. It's a stumbling block. The most difficult people to have a conversation about truth are those who are good. You know, it's like what, Seattle believes that we should be, you should go down and help those folks out in Mississippi. And Mississippi says, y'all need to stay home in Seattle. But I want you to understand the message here and that our mental tough holiness responds to any injustice, racism, tyranny, demands a costly presence. It's going to cost you something like a Jesus. As long as Jesus wasn't messing with the economy, as long as he was honoring things, things were okay. And this is why Peter says, don't fall in the way of your ancestors. You are following Jesus. Psalms 141, I, I love this passage because actually it is a prayer from someone who is finding himself in this place and he wants to be set apart. He wants to be set apart. And at this point, he's crying out to God. He's having a conversation with God. And he is saying to him, first of all, put a guard over my lips. So that out of this pain and this frustration, I don't say 
the wrong thing. But he says something else, and I thought, what a path to mental holiness when he says this. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in the wicked deeds along with those who are evil doers. Do not let me eat the king's delicacies or their delicacies. I believe that that is exactly what we have done at times that we have found ourselves not recognizing evil for what it is, and we find ourselves eating their delicacies. It, it, it seeps in, you take a bite, you do this, and it allows you to be comfortable. It allows you to be okay. And you know what else it does? It allows you to remain good, but not necessarily godly. Because, see, it, it, it allows you to be mission-minded, which we need. But peculiar people's hearts are commissioned. They are commissioned. Peter, in this letter, is asking and speaking to this audience about a shift focus. It's about a shift focus. This letter is for me as well, because I have to ask myself, where am I eating their delicacies? Because it's comfortable. In this shift focus, he uses terms in the NIV that says, be sober and alert. To be sober and alert. Get your hearts and your mind ready for action. And then I thought about that. I thought about that, and it made me think about the verse that says, direct my footsteps according to your word and let no sin rule over me. And I thought about all of that, but then I thought about the concept of sober. And it reminds me of a passage in the Negro National Anthem, lift every voice and sing. James Weldon Johnson is taking us on a journey. And I would encourage you to pull all those lyrics up. But when I think about this idea of being sober, these words just ring so true. And this was the heart of what he was writing to a people, to a people. He says, where hope unborn has died. But he's speaking to them, and he is challenging them and warning them. And he says, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way. Thou who has by thy might led us into the light. He says, Lord, keep us forever in the path we pray. He says, lest our feet stray from the places of God. 
where we met thee. But here is the nugget. Here is the challenge. It's the challenge for all of us. He says, lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of this world, we forget thee. So how long have you been drunk? You know, no one initially, when they start sipping a little wine, starts out to be drunk. Sometimes you sip the wine of life and it tastes good. For that moment, it provides you just a little rest. It, it allows you to, to be in that place of inclusion. It's in that place of no longer being ignored. You know, it, it, it maybe it was just someone recognizing you and saying hello. Maybe you were the one that they picked and identified to move up in your job. Maybe you, you bought into the working hard and paying attention and you moved up and maybe you, you drank a little more of that wine, just a little more, and, and, and became, it became kind of a, 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 a disorientation and you began to have this concept that you suffered from the illusion of inclusion. And as you drank you became disoriented and you began to see the world, not from God's view, but from the world's view. Where in your life do you need, we need to challenge ourselves? Because remember this, the songwriter said, straight from the places where we first met thee. The question we have and what we always need to remember is that we always stray further than we plan to stray. Always. And you know what? We stay longer than we plan to stay. And here is the bottom line. We pay more than we have ever planned to pay. This is a message that we're asked and the mental tough holiness demands that we remain alert, that we remain alert and that we do not allow ourselves to get seduced to the slippery slope of meritocracy prosperity. It's a slippery slope. But the other point of this message is as Peter is asking or sharing with these Jewish Christians in his letter to us today, he says, acknowledge the pain. He says, but I want you to understand your privilege in Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand the internal purpose in Jesus Christ. He said, you were not bought with silver and gold. In other words, is a thing that I often found myself as that little girl that little African-American girl, we have, we have moved ourselves all the way up, from the, up from the, to the alphabet, from the N-word to the C-word, from colored to black. Now we're African-American. It's A-game. <laughs> yeah, just keep moving. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. But I want us to understand this. All I wanted and all most people want is significance. 
That's what we want. We want, and, and what Peter is saying, peculiar people find their significance in Christ, in Christ alone. Hope. I put together a slide on hope and what hope means to me. Hope means his omnipotent presence exalted. His omnipotent, his all power presence and exalted. Holy, holy, holy. Merciful and mighty. I now introduce you to Celeste Dolores Smith Barnes McKinley my 95-year-old mother. My mother has just begun to share some of the pains of growing up in her time. And one of the pains that she almost becomes teary about is the fact that she had to leave her family at the age of 12 in order to get an education because there were no schools for African-American children at the, after the sixth grade. In fact, one of your members volunteered at Genesee One School, and that was the only school for African American, that particular building. She lived through that. She talks about some of this, the tyranny of growing up, and the fact how she had to kind of entertain the dominant race in order to raise money for her college. But here's why I use my mother as an example of tough mental holiness, a mind and a heart, despite, despite that history, despite it all, because she says, I knew that God was always working, always working. And I asked, I said, Mom, do you have any regrets? She says, no. She says, no, but I do say this. America is going to have to pay. She says, I don't have any regrets. She says, but here's what I want you to live with. Keep hope alive. She says, no matter what, you have been called for an internal purpose. She says, Put your hands, and this is something I grew up with. She says, put your hands in God's hands. He's, and because you, I grew up with a high, illiterate community. But they just believed in Jesus. They believed in God. And she says, put your hands in his hands and trust him. The songwriter says, I will trust the Lord until I die. But he says something else, and this is the commission-mindedness of holiness. It says, I will stay on the battlefield. You see, as I look out at you, I know for a fact that God has brought you here this day to be commissioned, to commission your heart. I know that there is someone here, 
is going to go on the battlefield. The songwriter says, I'm going to stay on the battlefield until I die. Why? Because I have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. She says, no, Mary, I don't have any regrets. She says, I trust God. She says, I'm a mouthpiece for God, and that's, that, makes, that makes us cringe at times. She says, I'm a mouthpiece for God. But she, she left me with something that I want to leave you with. You must resist evil. But you must also do this. You must keep on living. There are times when the pain is so great that you just want to roll back. You just want to inoculate yourself. But my mother said, oh, no, keep on living. And you will understand everything by and by. You see what hope does? See, hope shifts your focus. Hope lets you know that no matter what it feels like, the absence of his presence, but hope's fact is never the presence of his absence. That's hope. Keep on living. Keep on living. And we all will understand this better by and by. Oh, Heavenly Father, I am so privileged to be engaging with my family, with my community, knowing that this letter has the same compelling impact that we will keep on living, we will keep doing, we will keep changing, we'll keep growing because you, we will understand it better by and by. Amen.